You know, Halloween is a very strange holiday. Personally, I don't understand it. Oh, kids worshiping ghosts, pretending to be devils. Oh, things on TV that are completely inappropriate for younger viewers. Things like the following half hour. Oh, nothing seems to bother my kids, but tonight's show, which I totally wash my hands of, is really scary. So if you have sensitive children, maybe you should tuck them into bed early tonight instead of writing us angry letters tomorrow. Thanks for your attention. Back. Back to the bin. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very spooky episode of Back to the Bins. I am Paul Spataro, and I am here with William the Willies Robinson. Whoa, whoa. And Scott the Horror Gardner. <laughs> Captain Kirk. <laughs> I thought you were going for the... You sounded like, uh, where's my golden arm? I don't know if you guys ever listened to that album when you were kids. I, I don't did. remember that it one. It scared the shit out of me. Yeah. I'm thinking of, where's my birthday cake? <laughs> Bedelia. <laughs> that's Father's Day. That's not Halloween. Oh, but that's <laughs> a grip. It's my birthday. Bedelia, yo. Well, I don't this is a family show, so I won't say what they say. Yeah, families. We're here to make families happy for Halloween. Which is a bunch of creeps, though. <laughs> creeps, though. Talking about creep show. Uh-huh. But we picked some spooky books for you today. Just to embrace the, the Halloween spirit. Now, uh... I've got a book. I brought the Federal Acquisition uh, Manual. I could That's start scary. reading that. That is scary. And it'll put you right to sleep when you try to look something up. So, <laughs> I found myself watching Trilogy of Terror today. With uh, Karen Black? Mm-hmm. And I think it may it may end up being an Is It Yours episode in the not-too-distant future. But uh, that would, that's a fun horror-themed show that uh, people can watch on... Amazon Prime. I watched it on. Was it Karen Black in the other uh, the mm, the TV movie? Or I don't know if it was TV movie. Burnt Offerings with like Betty Davis and uh, I believe Burnt Offerings was a theatrical film. Yeah, um, it had Betty Davis and Oliver Reed, and she was the mom, and like the dad was getting possessed and uh, something like that. I don't know. It's been a long time since I saw that. She had Betty Davis eyes. No, it wasn't Kim Carnes. I think Betty Davis played the old woman. That Looking lived in it up as we speak, Burnt Offerings, 1976 film. Uh, family moves into a large old mansion in the countryside, which seems to have a mysterious and sinister power over its new residents. <laughs> and who's as in it? Did I need Karen, to Karen Black, okay. Oliver Reed. Uh-huh. Burgess Meredith, Eileen Heckard. Burgess, Burgess Meredith. Oh, Lee Montgomery, Dub Taylor, 
and Betty Davis as uh-huh. Aunt Elizabeth. Dub Taylor, was that like what name Rip Taylor was going by earlier on? Uh, Dub Taylor, if you saw Dub Taylor, you would recognize him. Uh, Probably. Let me see if I could see what he's been in that you would. That name sounds familiar. Rip Taylor? No, Happy Dub days are here again. Oh, I know, I know Rip Taylor. <laughs> I miss Rip Taylor. I miss him. Just don't, there's just not enough confetti in the world. Dead? I think maybe they don't. Oh yeah, Dub Taylor. Oh yeah. I yeah, reckon. he's. <laughs> this is probably the thing I I would uh, most align him with is uh, he was on the Odd Couple in the episode when uh, when Oscar was trying to keep protect a young uh, football player who was going from you know was being recruited by different schools and. Uh, or by different pro teams, I guess, actually. And Dub Taylor played the owner of the team that was trying to get him. Did I could be getting Dub Taylor crossed with uh, Struther Martin, but was he He's in not, Cool not Hand dis, Luke? Not dissimilar from Struther Martin. Struther Martin was definitely in Cool Hand Luke. Uh, he was the one who said, what we have here is oh, failure yeah. to communicate. Uh, but I don't. I do not know if Dub Taylor had a part in that. I do not see it on his IMDb list, so I would Rip, say no. Rip Taylor died in 2019. Oh, he was in them. Oh. Them. Wait, Rip Taylor? No. <laughs> so I thought you guys were saying Doug Taylor, and I'm looking up every Doug Taylor there was. I'm like, I don't recognize I, it. And then I realized you're saying Dub. D-U-B. Dub, like in like in dubstep. Like you're a dub ass. <laughs> Don't be a big dubby. <laughs> no, Rip Taylor died October 6, 2019 at age 88. Aw, what'd you kill him for? Yeah, for S- once. Scott, you pretty much kill everybody, though. No, Scott thought he was alive. Hey, I... Yeah, this, this is the first I, person... No, 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 I didn't think he was alive. alive. I was asking because I have learned over time that I am a poor judge of whether someone is still alive or not, because I think everybody's dead, so I, I that's used why to I be, asked. I used to be very good at it, and I have lost my edge. Now I st- I've started <laughs> to go into your world where I think everybody's dead already. <laughs> now, now I, just, I have nothing. No matter, no matter who comes up, I hear Scotty's voice saying, "He's dead already." <laughs> <laughs> see now, see now, I just have uh, Rip Taylor's music. Happy days are here again. Just playing in my head. Happy days are and it just goes on and on. It just—it's one of those songs uh, that just you can play in a loop, because it has no real end. So it's gonna go already. What? What? <laughs> what? Oh, fine, fine. I'll just take my trivia and go home. You know, Rip Taylor was just kind of like a man's man, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm not touching that one for nothing. Like oh wait! Him, I see what you see him now. starring in those shoot 'em up action thrillers. <laughs> wait, he had a toupee? No, I'm just kidding. I know he had a toupee. <laughs> so what do you got, Paul? Wow, he worked as a congressional <laughs> page before serving in the Korean War. What? 
Am I on the right page? <laughs> I, anyway. I don't know what page you're on, but I decided to bring to us today where Creatures Roam number three. And this truly was me saying I'm just going to randomly pick a horror book or, a, you know, one of the, you know, I, I almost feel bad calling this horror. Uh, monster book, I think is probably a better way to say it. Uh, you know, and I went into, I have a folder of, of monster books and picked this one and said, okay, I'm going to do it. And it's got four short stories in it, all of which are reprinted. Three of them are from uh, Tales to Astonish number 16. And the fourth one, I believe, is from Tales to Astonish number eight. But the first story, uh, which is called Here Comes Thorg the Unbelievable, which originally was printed as Here Comes Thor the Unbelievable, and we speculated that the likelihood is that they changed the name of uh, the character to not confuse him with Thor the God of Thunder, who had a, who you know was a viable character by the time. Uh, where Creatures Roam number three came out in November of 1970. Uh, so this story, which is written by Stan Lee and Larry Lieber and penciled by Jack Kirby, inked by Dick Ayers, colored by Stan Goldberg, lettered by Audie Simic, and edited by, of all people, Stan Lee. And again, the story is Here Comes Thorg the Unbelievable. An archaeologist visits a small island with his wife to observe some stone statues that have been discovered. He trips an electric I-beam, which serves as an awakening mechanism, to one of the alien sleeper agents planted in advance of an invasion. The alien wishes to awaken his fellows, but the man tricks him into attempting the island conquest himself by playing to his vanity. His wife thinks him a traitor by helping the alien, but he waits until Thor, Thorg, has summoned his leaders before tossing dynamite into a dormant volcano and destroying the island. Dynamite! <laughs> Thorg and his leaders perish as well, since they are too heavy to swim, and a, na- and a native and the archaeologist's wife come back in a canoe to save the archaeologist before he drowns. She apologizes for doubting him. The end. We all live happily ever after. Now... <laughs> I, you know, what this story was really missing was when he, when the wife thought he was betraying them, she should have called him a cube. But other than that, this is, <laughs> this is like your typical, you know, monster book story. Uh, I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, the, the advance party to see if they could take over the earth and then they fool them into thinking, you know, usually it's, it's a superhero thing where it's like, oh, they're, they're all as strong as Thor. We can't go. We have to get out of here really quick. Uh, but in this instance, you know, it's the individual. So not a lot of surprises going on in this book. But I have to tell you, I really liked the Kirby artwork in this. I thought this was a lot of fun. I mean, the the, the heads are all like Easter Island heads. So if you were a young kid who's impressionable enough, you'd be afraid of, you know, that that those are going to come to life one day. Uh, <laughs> the the uh, opening splash, which shows Thorg uh, reaching for, I guess, natives and explorers on a, uh, you know, a rope and wood bridge. 
uh, and and he's you know like overturning the bridge and they're falling off. Reminded me very much of King Kong. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's kind of the feeling I had with this island that you know that it was Skull Island, and uh, you know it, it's it's silly fun is really what it is. But like I said, to me the artwork was cool. I really got a, just a kick out of Thor. Thorg. I keep getting it mixed up and saying Thor, uh, and and how he you know how he looked throughout it. Uh, I, I find it amusing that he speaks English and uh, that he's been there for millions of years, he says. Uh, and, and you could say, why would you want to bring them in here? Why would you want to wake them up? You could show that you're tougher all by yourself. Yeah, that's right. I'm tougher by myself. <laughs> I, just, I, found, I found it very amusing to read. Uh, and uh, just overall, you know, fun silliness. What do you guys think? I got three things to say about the opening splash. One, the I can hear the Wilhelm scream in this picture. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Two, two, I hear that song from like the 90s. You're unbelievable. Oh, boom, 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 boom. And three, Jack Kirby was visioning, envisioning the future with uh, future uh, Sylvester Stallone in that picture. As Thorg, as, as 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 the Rocky statue outside in uh, Philly. That's all I have to say about the opening splash. He's done. That's what I'm here for. Be here all the week. Um, I liked the art. That was about the kindest thing I could say about this. Um. And I like the cover too. The cover was cool. I'm I am a sucker for you know ancient mysteries and you know the the Easter Island uh, statues. You know that big heads and everything are, are you know one of those things I think is really cool. So I was hoping that this was going to be some sort of take on that. And really, other than the the resemblance to them, that's it. There's you know this isn't Easter Island. You know these aren't those things. So I felt like it was kind of like a bait and switch type of situation. Um, and then the story's just so stupid. And it just, it, it left me with way too many questions because this is not the first time that I've read a, a sci fi story like this where it's like, you know, especially from Marvel, you know, where something's been planted you know, on the earth, you know, thousands, millions, whatever years ago, and there's a plan and, but everything's in super vague terms, nothing specific. So I'm trying to figure out what, what exactly was the plan here? How did it gain these aliens any advantage whatsoever? And then the thing that I got the biggest kick out of is when Thorg calls his people you know, he basically is like, uh, you know, I'm awake now. We're we're ready to conquer. We're ready to implement our planet. You know, I've waited a, a million years for this. So he sends out a light to call his people. Very next panel says, the following day, the ship arrived. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait what? So how close were these, <laughs> these people that planted them, him there? 
a million years ago. So what? They planted him on Earth a million years ago, and then they just went to like the what? Moon. Like Venus and hung <laughs> out waiting. They were on the moon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Waiting for him to flash a light at them, saying, "Okay, we're ready to go now." I'm like, what? 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 That makes no sense. What's the plan here? And then there's only like, I, I only count like five guys, and it's kind of vague in this picture. But you've got Thorg himself, and I just love the panel of him like he's got his arm up, and then the leader guy has got his arm up as he's coming out of the ship. They're like, they're going, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've got like. I think it's three guys behind him. So all, all together, it only looks like there's five of these creatures. How is how is that going to conquer anything? I mean, maybe the Earth, I guess. We never really see what his powers are. So other than being a big lumbering rock monster, how the hell is he actually going to take over the Earth, let alone the universe? Because the plan here is to take over the universe. And then Dr. Banner, after he defeats them here, he, he says something about, uh, where is it? Last panel, he says, now with his fellow slain, the rest of our universe will be safe from this nightmare. Huh? How? He's one dude that they planted, and, and it said somewhere in this that they planted one of these dudes on every planet. So... Yeah, I mean, I understand that this is just simple fun intended for simple children, but even on that level, it's so bad. You know, I mean, the the writing, I mean, again, you know, the art's fun and I, you know, I love giant monsters. So, you know, I enjoyed this on that level, but if you apply any logic whatsoever to the story, it just makes your brain hurt. So no, you, you can't put any logic to it. No, but if you were no, seven and you were reading this, you would think it was cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I would. And, I like uh, after and, he thinks, you know, after he feels like he conquered the island, he kind of finds, you know, a chair among the rocks to sit in. And he's like, hey, all right, I'm just going to sit here and, and chill until <laughs> my people come. <laughs> I like page five, first panel where Thorg is pointing at one of his fellow heads. That other head looks like the Jimmy Durante Easter Island <laughs> statue. It's hysterical. And uh, I don't know and what the, this guy The furthest one back is the red skull. <laughs> yeah, he does look like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it was okay. I did like the art a lot. I, I really did think the scientist, I forget what the hell his name was, but the scientist was was essentially he's he's Bruce Banner before Bruce Banner. So, Or maybe not so much, because I did look it up to see. So when this was originally published as the first story in Tales, of, uh, Tales to Astonish number 16, that was in February of 61. And then Thor debuted in issue 83 of journey into mystery and that was august of 62 so these characters are separated by like only like a year and a half so well, his was first Thor, name's Lo- i mean uh his first name's linus is linus this <laughs> is blanket oh <laughs> uh, he should have defeated thorg with a blanket that would make this the coolest story ever also, I have to ask, page five, third panel, just how many planets 
does Jack Kirby think we have in our solar system, let alone let alone an immediate Earth orbit like this? Hey, it was a it was a strange uh, alignment of planets. I guess. What an ungrateful wife. Oh, sure. God. Why did I marry an archaeologist? Uh, Taking her to see the world. I should have married a private detective or a soldier of fortune. Yeah, maybe he should have thrown you in the volcano, too. I'm just, I'm getting more of a kick, which I hadn't really noticed that the one when the, the, plane, the ship lands and they're coming out. Thinking, hey, home slice, what's happening? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> What's up, dude? Yeah, I love that panel. Hi. <laughs> I just, I really got a kick out of the fact We're though, over that here. He, I, I could see maybe if it was like, you know, there was like some super comic book science device that he used to summon his people. He sent the hyperwave to call his people or whatever. No, he flashes a light. Well, light only travels so fast. So well, I looked that up. These and, guys uh, were within the solar system. Possibly, yeah. It, like, in one day, uh, it was like some crazy number with a bunch of exponents and stuff on it. But I was just like, yeah, I don't have time to figure out how many miles this is. It, it's in kilometers. I, I got mean, no idea. It, it takes light. I 186,000 it's, it's like, uh, Well, miles. yeah, no, but I mean, to go from, from our sun to us takes like several minutes so for a day i'm thinking the 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 light you know from earth so like nine minutes flashing out can't i mean in a day might leave the solar system but it's not going to go far beyond the solar system if it even goes like really really good eyesight (laughs) (laughs) okay i can see all the the other thing with that Here's the other thing with that. So assuming that these people that come to to hook up with him have not not been asleep for the same amount of time, because we never get any explanation for that. So if they haven't, have these people not evolved or changed or anything in a million years? Nope. That that's the other part of this that doesn't that makes no sense to me whatsoever. So like, and and Marvel's done this sort of thing before with like sleeper agents on Earth, you know, planted here by you know such and such race or whatever, and they wake up and it's you know thousands of years or tens of thousands of years or hundreds of thousands of years, whatever you know, just ridiculous amounts of time later, and they they wake up and like. The people that left them, they remember them. They remember the plan. It's it's like we don't remember things clearly from 2,000 years ago, let alone a million years ago. No, you don't have a giant so, head made of stone. Oh, wait a minute. Actually, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I take okay. it back. So I said I think it takes nine minutes for the light to reach the Earth. It takes uh-huh. eight minutes and 20 seconds. There you go. So I was very close. Now, it takes... You were closer than me. I was thinking six. So you were closer I thought it took I like was. a year. No. Now, from the from the sun to Pluto, it takes 5.5 hours. So they could be... So it, the width of our solar system, if we still counted Pluto, 
It would take five hours. So it could go over a couple more solar systems, or it, they could be further out than you think in 24 hours. See? Yeah, but I mean, yeah. the closest... See, your science closest, is, is failing. The closest thing to us outside our solar system is Andromeda. And Andromeda is several light years away. I thought it was so Alpha this Centauri. Is a day. Or maybe maybe it is Alpha Centauri. Or one of the, whatever the hell one it is. It's late and I'm tired. <laughs> is, I was told there wouldn't be science. It's, you know, it's several light years away. So, uh, you know, in a light day is not going to go very far beyond our solar system if it does indeed go outside the solar So my point is, Maybe why were wormhole. these guys so close? Why were they hanging around? And again, presumably not in suspended animation or whatever. So... It just, I don't know. It just you doesn't know what? I'm going to sit here at, at the edge of the universe, at the edge of the solar system, and if they don't come to me within another million years, I'm leaving. Well, maybe they were <laughs> at the edge of the of the solar system in suspended animation, waiting for his signal. Maybe the light woke them up. Yeah. It is. I guess that's friendship for you, because you know, I mean, I like you guys and everything, but you leave me waiting more than 15 minutes, I'm bugging out, and these guys are waiting a million years, so. 4.367 light years to Alpha Centauri. That's a late year. Yeah, exactly. That's a long time. This was, this was a maybe, day. Maybe they have super speed light. Maybe they have a wormhole. <laughs> <laughs> the fastest spacecraft so far launched into space travels at 250,000 kilometers per hour. That speed, it would take the probes 18,000 years to reach the nearest star to the sun. You better get started. Maybe their science is more advanced than ours. What seems mm-hmm. like magic to you is science to them. Uh, what, uh, what about if it seems like a shitty story? What is that? <laughs> well, that's another possible explanation for it. Who who wrote this? Because I don't it's see Stan. any writer credit. Who do you think wrote it? Is it Stan? He's well, credited. I don't, I don't see any credit. Of course. <clears throat> Come on, it's got Stan written all over it. It does, but I'm just saying there's no the credits in the science. book, and there's no credits on Mike's Amazing World. So I, I don't we're lucky know. he didn't use magnets to contact him. <laughs> Well, the only other thing I had on this was uh, I thought it was really interesting that with this being a reprint that, for one, they completely recolored the entire story, which I thought was interesting. And I I think it was actually better the first time. I like the colors in the original story a lot better. Um, I, th- I think the palette works a little bit better in the original. But I thought it was cool that the reprint... Let me see how I can explain this. So the image is, it's like they zoomed out from the original image. So there's more that you see of the artwork and and including some characters, you know, some people running around as uh, Thorg is emerging from the ground that you didn't see in the original cover. I don't think they're added or anything. I don't think it's, like they went back and remastered the art. It's it almost makes me wonder if somehow they had cropped the original image on you know when it was published originally in Tales to Astonish, and then what we're seeing is here is the actual artwork before they cropped it. 
Does that that's, make sense? That's my yeah. That's actually what I think. You know that that makes more sense than anything else. Yeah, and and I like I like the the reprinted one better actually. I think it, it looks mm. really sharp. Yeah, but what you guys are really missing in this is the ad that's between the with young Arnold. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's got the babe too. Yeah, he he almost like facially he almost doesn't look like himself. No. What are you saying? Ah! He's young Arnold. So I'm going to give you just a quick quick rundown of the other stories in here because I did read them, but I know you guys are are not really up on them. The second story is called "I Am the Victim of the Sorcerer." And it's, uh, I believe, also written by Stan, but I'm not certain. It might be Larry Lieber, uh, but it's drawn by Steve Ditko. And there's this dude who's, like, running away, and then he's he's kind of, like, wakes up, and he's in the fog, and he doesn't know where he is. He doesn't know who he is. He, he's drawn to something of evil. Uh, you know, everybody's looking at him and pitying him. And then finally he realizes that he has to go back, uh, that he's, he's a captive, and what it is is that he betrayed some sorcerer. And now he's forced to live his life in a painting in an art gallery uh, where the sorcerer is like ready to, I guess, ready to kill him. Uh, kind of a weird story, but the artwork is cool. Much, much like the first one, the artwork is more superior to the story. Anyway, the second I, one. Wait, 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 wait. I have one word to say. I, I have one, well, one, one thing to say about the last picture. Uh, Daffy Duck and the genie. <laughs> Dog, you have desecrated the lamp. <laughs> the third story is Save Me from the Mole Men, and they're not talking about the Mole Men with uh, you know the Fantastic Four. Uh, it it starts off with showing a guy running with these uh, kind of matted creatures coming after him, but then it flashes back to he was a middleweight boxer, and he showed no mercy to his uh, opponents that he like took pleasure in causing them to suffer. Uh, but he, he lamented the fact that he wasn't a heavyweight. So he found about this new, uh, found out about this new uh, experimental drug, which would help you to gain weight. And he took it. He actually went and stole them and then took it. And he just kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And he fell through like the, the floor of his building. Then he fell through into like a sewer. And then from there he fell down into the depths of the earth where he met up with this these uh mole men who decided to beat him and the whole thing was they didn't show any any uh mercy much like he didn't so that's the ironic twist and then the final one is i live again which is uh which goes over this creature that existed in a uh in a remote kingdom in europe and he had been trapped and he escaped and he decided he, he, no one could challenge him. He's destroying the, uh, you know, the army and the Navy. And he comes up on, uh, he, he decides he wants to go to America uh, because it's the greatest country. And that's where he's going to, you know, rule the world. And he, he says, you know, no creature can that exists on earth that can match me. So they show him basically beating on a, an alligator and then beating on a, a bull. And then uh, what happens is uh, they actually fooled him into getting into a spacecraft. And then they sent the uh, spacecraft into uh, 
just basically out out into the outer reaches of space where it's going to travel until it disintegrates and the final uh, pa- the final panel shows you know a long shot of the ship and inside it it says i'm un- indestructible sob indestructible and the end and that's the last story in the book so it's you know they're all like twilight zone-ish night gallery you know o henry twist ending kind of things uh did you notice where did you notice where they launched him from i didn't was it cape canaveral well if you look when he looks out the hole the first thing he's looking at florida as he's flying up that's florida distinctly florida and cuba so yeah Yeah. they tricked him into florida he's the original florida man the funny thing is when he was in florida nobody noticed him (laughs) <laughs> that's because he was florida man fighting gators throwing bulls over his shoulder so that's that's the full extent of my monster book for halloween do you feel spooky Ooh, ah, i think his hair is spooky he's a he's a, <laughs> he's a haircut get a haircut you hippie he's got that aaron Rodgers hair going what is up with it that's what's scary right now is that that Aaron Rodgers puts on a hat and he's got two tufts of hair sticking out from behind his ears. Dude, either tuck your hair up onto your hat or cut it off. Anyway, sorry. I know Scott doesn't watch the sports ball, so but maybe Paul is. Yeah, seen I it. have no idea who you're talking about. He's the Green Bay quarterback and he looks like a knucklehead right now with his current haircut. I hate baseball. <laughs> Actually, I don't like baseball either. I'm a very <laughs> big baseball fan, but that's I just... know you are. When they start, I, I like I said before years ago, when they start putting tiger pit traps on the baselines and they mine, put mines in the outfield, then I'll watch baseball because it'll be interesting. Okay, I'll keep that in mind. I'll see. I'll, I'll suggest it to the rules committee. Yeah. Did uh, Aaron Judge break that record, by the way? Uh, well, he broke the American League record. Uh, oh. He did not. He was unable to break the National League record, which uh, was set by a rampant PED user. So I have no respect. The, the record exists, but I have no respect for the record holder. Mm. Yeah, it's either McGuire or Bonds, right? Bonds. Mm. McGuire had done it. Well, basically, you know, the, the record, just to give a little base, you know, minor baseball history, Babe Ruth had hit 60 home runs uh, in uh, 1927. I'm not sure. Uh, actually, wouldn't know. It would have been it was 61 years ago that he actually no, 61 years ago was when uh, Roger Maris broke his record, excuse me, and hit 61 home runs. Now Aaron Judge has managed to hit 62 home runs, so he does have the Yankees and American League record for home runs. The National League record was broken, I believe, McGuire and Sosa both broke the 61 record in the same year. Before that, I think it had been 57, Mm. Uh, but Barry Bonds eventually hit 73 one year, but again, performance-enhancing drugs, so I don't respect those records. And moving on to our comic book talk again, uh, I'm giving this book a decent grade based on two factors. 
one that the art i think the art is really enjoyable uh i love the kirby art and i love the steve ditko art uh so and, and it's it's di- in a different way like the kirby art is uh dynamic and it's you know big and and kind of like you know overwhelming whereas the ditko art is more moody and and eerie so they both kind of serve a good purpose for a monster book in and of themselves the stories are admittedly dumb but i find them to be fun uh, I, I enjoyed reading the book i got a kick out of it out of it i was chuckling as i was reading it so uh, i'm going to give the art on the cover and in the book a solid B and I'm going to give the story just because they were fun and they made me laugh and I just enjoyed them no matter how stupid they were. Uh, I'm going to give them a C plus because I thought they were fun and overall I'll give it a, just a B for the book. Would anybody else care to speak? I thought Bill was going to go next. Uh, oh, I'll go. No, you go. Go ahead. Um, let's see. Get the, uh, <laughs> trying to get the book to reopen here for me so I can go back to the car. Um, yeah, I, uh, I, I, yeah, I don't have a lot on this one. I, I really did dig the cover. I thought the cover was pretty cool. Um, you know, like I say, I'm a sucker for big monsters and, it is a, a, a striking uh, cover and everything. Um, I do feel a little bit gypped, though that it's it's clearly going for a Easter Island riff and and it, you know the monsters in the story don't have anything to do with Easter Island, but it's still pretty cool. So cover wise, I'll say uh, say a B on the cover. I really dig the cover. I think it was pretty good. Interior art's really good. Um, I mean, it's you know it's Kirby of this era, but it's you know it's dynamic. Um, it's definitely the most, you know, interesting thing about the story. At least the visuals are really good and really, um, you know, well done and everything and, and interesting. Um, so, uh, I think I'll say a solid B on the art as well. Story, story's an F. Story's just so stupid. It doesn't make any sense. None of the logic holds up or anything. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it. It's it's fun from just, you know, giant monster on the rampage type of thing. But other than that, it really didn't work for me at all. Um, so overall grade, um, eh, I'll, I'll say a middle of the road C. It was OK. <laughs> eh, on the cover, uh, I like in the, the corner box, they've got the three people from each story. Was that a normal thing? Or I haven't read a lot of where creatures roam. You know, they've got Thorg and the the guy in the painting and the uh, indestructible guy. Yeah, I think that's what they were doing, but I don't, I, I can't say mm, for it's, certain. It's a nice little touch. Uh, I will give the, the cover painting a... painting guy looks like the Gibbon. <laughs> <laughs> I will give this a, uh, 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 I'll give the cover a B. Um, the interior art... Hmm. Nothing major wrong here. It's got some cool shots, uh, except for how close. There's a lot of planets crowding around the Earth, but, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, I will give it a B, and the story, yeah, it's goofy, but it's it's an old, you know, 
It's old. I I'll give it a C, so it's like a C plus. Okay. The, looking Chanel. at the thumbnails on Mike's Amazing World, it does look like they changed that little inset box, you know, the price box for mm-hmm. each issue to show different images. So I'm assuming oh. that these are the creatures inside the book in each different one. So yeah, they did change it for each issue. That's kind of cool. <laughs> Gorgilla. On the cover of number five. That's awesome. He looks ridiculous. So, Bill, what do you well, got for us? Are we ready for the next book? Uh, I, I, I told you, I have the Federal Acquisition Manual. <laughs> the rules of acquisition. <laughs> yeah, they ain't no Ferengi rules. But we'll save mine till later, and Scott can go next. All right. So for this uh, spooky Halloween episode, um, I actually read two different stories because I wasn't sure, should I bring another Marvel or should I try to switch it up, bring a DC? I wasn't really sure. So I actually had prepped two books, but uh, or two stories, rather, because one of the one I'm not bringing was, uh, was a story from... Um, Limited Collector's Edition C32, which was the big ghost issue of uh, Limited Collector's Edition, big oversized book. I just acquired that uh, this year, and uh, I remember seeing that as a kid, you know, and all the ads and everything, but I never actually laid eyes on it. So even though I wasn't really that interested in the in the you know subject or whatever, it was cheap, and I picked it up, and uh, so I was flipping through that, and there was a Jim Aparo story in there that turns out it's reprinted from Ghost Number One. So I read that one and it, it was pretty, it was interesting. It was just a little short story, but it was kind of fun. But the actual story that I'm bringing, the issue that I'm bringing is Tomb of Dracula, uh, number 29. This is the February 1975 cover dated issue it was actually uh, on sale on the stands, according to the Marvel fandom wiki. On uh, November 5th, 1974, has a 25 cent cover price on it. Covers by uh, Gil Kane, Tom Palmer, and Danny Crespi, according to uh, the Marvel Wiki. It's a it's a pretty good cover, and it's got a uh, Dracula looming ominously over this uh, woman who's uh, kind of you know cowering in fear as uh, with you know he's reaching out to her with one clawed hand while his other hand is strangling this dude the dude's tongue's like his eyes are bugging and his tongue's sticking out it's it's a pretty good uh, pretty good cover on that oh come Story on i can't believe you didn't i can't believe you didn't say What's your that? patented this screams to me of you going <laughs> the guy being <laughs> i kind of expected that too <laughs> Uh, title on this one is Vengeance is Mine, Saith the Vampire. And the synopsis is coming from the Marvel fandom wiki because these two schlubs have rubbed off on me and I'm just too lazy to write up my own these days. So I have not read this over uh, very thoroughly, so I'm not sure if it's a good synopsis or not. We're just going to kind of run with it. So, uh, on a rampage through England, Dracula seeks out another female victim and violently takes her down. Their struggle brings people uh, who try uh, and save the girl. Dracula easily kills them before feeding on the girl. 
When a police officer attempts to arrest Dracula, the vampire king simply laughs and flies away in his bat form, flying across the countryside back to his mansion hideout. His mind stuck on thoughts about how Sheila Whittier left him. Dracula dismisses his feelings and decides that he will deal with humans with the coming night. That afternoon at the home of David Eschel, I really don't know how to pronounce his name. Uh, it's Eschel? Eschel? I'm going to say Eschel. I don't know. Uh, at the home of David Eschel, uh, Sheila raises her concerns that Dracula may try to get revenge against them for her walking out on him. Uh, realizing that the vampire king poses a real threat, David decides to do something about it and decides to go to Sheila's old mansion and kill Dracula once and for all, despite kill Sheila's Dracula, warning not to go. Kill the Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> so just to kind of set this up a little bit, um, Dracula is essentially living in her old house. They they met because Dracula somehow he knew about this. This comes from uh, Giant Size Chillers number one, which is a, in effect it's Giant Size Dracula number one, but it hadn't been renamed yet to Giant Size Dracula. So Giant Size Chillers number one, he is seeking a new home because Castle Dracula is now uh, I, I think it got burned down or something. Something happened to it. He needed a new place. And so he uh, had one of his agents seek out this place for him. And they they found this castle and Sheila was living there. So Dracula went there, I think, with the intention of basically taking the, the place away from her, like killing her or whatever, but ended up um, at first with her kind of being uh under his thrall but eventually as we see you know in the course of the story um he actually developed feelings for her but she left him at the end of last issue so that's kind of where we're at in this whole thing so armed with his star of david and a wooden stake david believes he is well prepared to deal with dracula uh let's see while in india there's a whole subplot here i'm going to skip all this with uh with the subplot in India, because it really doesn't have any bearing on this particular story. Uh, so meanwhile, at Dracula's manor, David attempts to kill Dracula. However, the vampire lord raises from his sleep and attacks David. Dracula easily overpowers the ill-prepared David, who is uh, killed in the fight. With David dead, Dracula goes to his home to collect Sheila, bringing David's body with him to show her that he killed her lover. Horrified by what Dracula has done, and not wishing to live as his slave anymore, Sheila instead chooses suicide and jumps out the window, dying upon impact with the ground. Horrified himself by what had happened, Dracula turns into his bat form and flees the scene. Oh, it's not a bad, uh, bad synopsis on this. So the reason I chose this particular issue is that um, I'm doing several read-through projects right now, and uh, Tomb of Dracula is one of them. I've I've put it off for a, a long, long time. I've been actively um, seeking out and collecting the back issues, and I'm uh, I'm a mere two issues away from a complete set of Tomb of Dracula. And so I've been doing a uh, a chronological read through because it actually pulls in other titles like um, there was a Tomb of Dracula magazine, there was a Dracula Lives magazine, and then. Um, Dracula himself, his daughter, and Blade, the vampire hunter, had 
guest appearances in other titles and other magazines and stuff. So I've been doing like a chronological read through of Tomb of Dracula and, and his appearances and their appearances in other books. And it's been an interesting project. It's something I'd wanted to do for a long, long time and um, just just sat down one day and decided, OK, I'm, I'm going to do this. So I started reading through it and it's it's weird. I've been enjoying it. But it's so odd to me that early on in the series, because it didn't start with Mar- Marv Wolfman as the writer, um, and he's he's the writer on this issue. It's uh, Gene Colan and Tom Palmer on the art. I don't know if I mentioned that. Now, Gene Colan was there from the very beginning, and Tom Palmer came in pretty quick um, after the first couple of issues, I think. He wasn't there from the from the start, but he came in pretty early. And then he was there for the whole rest of the series. And Marv Wolfman came in early. I want to say we're on like issue eight, nine, something like that. And was there for the whole rest of the series. So you would think with a long running title with basically the same creative team all the way through would feel very consistent and uniform and all of that. And it, and it doesn't. And that's the weird thing about it. I think reading it, in quick succession, you know, just sitting down and, and kind of just binge reading it in a weird kind of way, I think is almost doing the series a bit of a disservice because I'm finding that it's a very disjointed read. And it seems to me, and I could be dead wrong about this, but the feel I get walking away, and I'm at this point, there's 70 issues in the series, you know, excluding all the, the guest appearances and other titles and everything. But the series proper, uh, proper is 70 issues. I'm at like issue like 50 right now. And it's kind of all over the place. And it doesn't really it feel the impression I walk away with is that Marv was just kind of winging it and didn't really have a plan because, you know, Dracula seems to have a plan one, you know, for for a little while, for a few issues, and then he shifts, and all of a sudden his focus is on something else, and his character's a little inconsistent as far as like what exactly is his motivation? Is he trying to create a vampire army? Is he not trying to create it? You know, like what what exactly is his purpose other than feeding on people and, and sustaining himself? So it seemed to lack cohesiveness in like Dracula's mission. Like what, what is his purpose? What is his function? What is his purpose? What is he hoping to achieve? And he looks up phrase words, phrases, and closes. (laughs) (laughs) But the part where I got sucked into this was. So while I, 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 that part of it kind of annoyed me a little bit that, that there wasn't like a clear cut, defined like what what's the purpose what's you know what's going on with him the the other thing that i thought was working really well is there's it's understated and it's underplayed but there's this undertone of getting to know dracula like as a person because at first in the series and, and 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 it carries through the whole series but he's you know, he is a monster, you know, he's, he, he is outright evil and he embraces his evilness. And that's kind of the fun of the title of it is that, you know, he's kind of like Emperor Palpatine in that aspect of he's evil. He knows it and he loves it and he's, he's perfectly cool with it. Um, 
so there's that that's fun with him. But as you go through the series, and especially if you read like like I have, you read it, uh, you know, in chronological order and read some of the flashback tales and the origin tales from the magazine from Dracula Lives, it gives you more of his backstory and kind of like how he thinks type of thing. And it started to kind of slowly be revealed over time to by the time you get to this issue that he's lonely and he don't, he won't admit it because for part of the fun with the character is that he's an arrogant prick because he's an aristocrat, aristocrat, aristocrat rather. He's an aristocrat. And not an aristocrat. <laughs> That's a whole different thing. An aristocrat. So he has a very aristocratic way of looking at things, of, of behaving. Everybody else is beneath him. And especially with him being Lord of the Vampires, it just it, it just magnifies that attitude of I'm superior to everybody else. I don't need anybody else. I need nothing. I am Dracula and all of that. However, in his private moments, and there was a really good issue, and I can't remember if it was before this issue or after this issue. I think it's before it, but there's a really good issue that's really just a solo story of Dracula sitting in his castle and and basically making diary entries. And that sounds super boring, but it's a really <laughs> good way of getting into his head and understanding more about his character. And that's where it started to kind of, you, you start to realize as a reader that he won't come right out and admit it, but he's lonely. He's lived for hundreds of years. He's lost everybody that ever meant anything to him. Most of them hor in horrible ways. And he really doesn't have anybody. And the people that he does let into his circle don't last very long because either he takes them out or somebody else takes them out. So he, he has no confidants. He has no friends. He has no allies. It's just him. And Dear that, that was kind of the today I had a puppy seed in my teeth all day. <laughs> I did not know because when I looked in the mirror, there was no reflection. Except the poppy seed. <laughs> so it was very embarrassing. But the reason I, I picked this particular issue is that this is where things culminate with Sheila. Because initially when when he invaded her home with the intention of taking it over, um, it turned out that the place was was basically she was being haunted. And so somehow he ends up feeling sorry for her or something. And he helps her basically excises the, the spirit that was in this mansion. And then instead of just, you know, killing her or whatever he was intending to do originally and just taking over the place, he basically cohabitates with her and, and treats her at first, not like an equal or anything, but just she's, he knows she's kind of taken with him because he basically was her rescuer and so he exploits her in that aspect and, and basically allows her to live to serve him. And in the last issue was where she basically she got wise to what was going on and everything and, and kind of broke his hold over her and walked out on him. And at the end of last issue, um, it was one of the few times uh, so far in the series anyway, uh, anywhere where he kind of 
you saw a very human side of him because it affected him when she walked out on him. Because for one, he suddenly realizes that, you know, that he does have feelings for her, whether he'll admit it or not. But also it was a foreshadowing of a later story arc where uh, his powers were starting to slip. And this was like the first really blatant example of it because he no longer had power over her and he's supposed to be able to control his thralls, you know, with, with his, you know, mental hypnosis whammy type of thing. And it didn't work on her anymore. And so all of that, you know, happened in the prior series. So the rampage he's on in the beginning of this and, you know, the ranting and raving he's doing about hating humans and everything is because basically he's nursing a broken heart because Sheila walked out on him. And I really like, you know, the way this issue culminates at the end where, it's it's kind of like a lover's quarrel because I think she still has feelings for him and all, but she also is horrified by him because she realizes that he is a monster. He's an evil entity. And so basically she does the only thing that's left to her by throwing herself out the window because she doesn't want to get sucked back in by him again. And by doing that, you know, by ending her own life, she, she breaks his heart. And I like the way the issue ends because you, you only get kind of a glimpse of that. You, you get just, you know, that sense of this affected him, but he just flies away. We don't really get anything with that. And at the beginning of the next issue after this, it actually starts with him um, in the graveyard at her gravesite, And basically monologuing about the fact that she's the first person he's cared about in a very long time and how much he really deeply regrets how this all played out. And I thought that was really interesting because I don't think that there's another moment in the series up to that point that ever showed him showing any remorse for anybody that he did in or that, that got killed because of him. And so it's interesting. It was a lot of character development for a pretty horrible person. And I thought that was interesting. You know, I don't I don't typically like, you know, it's become such a trope these days to take villains and humanize them or, you know, make make it to where you sympathize for them or whether it's become a real cliche. And it's it's been overdone to a point where it really annoys me now. It's like, why can't an evil person like Darth Vader, why can't Darth Vader just be evil? I don't need to know his whole backstory. I don't need to care about him as a person. Why can't he just be an evil bastard? And that's one of the things I've really enjoyed about this with Dracula is that he's evil. He knows it and he loves it. But this was a nice little glimpse into, okay, he does have depths. You know, there, there is more to this character than just, I'm going to just go around murdering people. And so it was, it was interesting to see that aspect. And not long after this, he basically just goes back to being an evil prick again. So it was, it was cool. It was a nice little moment within the series. So overall, I've, I've enjoyed it a lot. What did you guys think? I know I've gone on way too long on this one, but I I dug it. I've been meaning to uh, do a Dracula read through for probably every bit as long as you have. Uh, except I haven't started. Well, I've started mine several times and I started it at issue one and got to about issue four. And then, you know, a couple of years went by and it was like, okay, let me start at issue one again. 
And it's 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 been like starts and stops like that. And I really do want to sit down and read this whole thing. And, <clears throat> you know, part of it was Marv Wolfman because I do like his writing. Uh, and your description of him kind of losing his way doesn't really help that at all. But a lot of it is, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, a lot of it is is the Gene Colan art throughout, which is just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. And I did... Uh, at the tail end of this series, I was picking up the issues as they came out. Uh, and I probably bought maybe the last 15 or 16 issues, you know, off the stands or actually from the comic store. But, uh, you know, as they came out and, uh, you know, I thought it was like a really cool, cool run. And I decided I wanted to, it wasn't that long ago. I decided I wanted to try and see if I could chase them all down. And I'm not nearly as close as you. I still have. I have 40, 46 out of the 70 issues so far. That ain't bad. Uh, so so I still need, you know, a, a decent chunk. I need about a third of them. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I've enjoyed what I have read with this. And I do think uh, what I said earlier is true that, you know, a lot of it has been the artwork. But I think, you know, my, if my memory of when I did read the last run on this thing uh, was is, is accurate, I did enjoy that that run so i get the feeling that you're going to find that it does tend to solidify and and find its uh focus a little bit more which is disappointing because it seems like it you know it it lacked focus throughout and then when they found its focus it's when it was you know ready to be canceled so you know that that's disappointing (laughs) that that's that's like the original x-men book that you know it, it it lacked focus for a long long time and then eventually uh they uh you know, they, they excuse me, they uh, had uh, Neil Adams and Roy Thomas and, and they did a little epic run and then the book was canceled. <laughs> I don't think I've ever read really much of uh, Tomb of Dracula. The, the time my first experience with Dracula would be, and I think we've covered this book. I want to say was it the issue of Doctor Strange where Doctor Strange is fighting him. Like, is it like volume one or two like 6061 uh, we, we did we did do the Doctor strange book i think we also did an x-men book with uh dracula that's, yeah that, yeah because yeah, that that's like the first time that i ever read about dracula was was because it was like a, a semi crossover with the avengers at the same time too so yeah and then, and then pretty much the next time i dealt with dracula is is, is in the x-men now recently before I got out of collecting um, new Avengers books there, Dracula was reintroduced and was given like a, I think he was given Chernobyl, the city of Chernobyl. I don't know if it's the same Dracula as this. I think it is, but he looks totally different. And I don't really know where that went. He was like creating, I don't know if you had like radiation zombie or radiation vampire. I don't know. That's, that was when yeah, they were I, I read a little bit about that. Yeah, I read. I didn't read. I know what you're talking about. I, I mean, I didn't read the stories, but I read a little bit about it on, I don't know, like Wiki or something because I was putting together um, the chronology to read. But I basically had to pick my point, like, where do I want to tap out on this? Because after a certain point, um, they completely changed him. They like changed his character model and everything. And, and I really didn't care for it at all. So 
Um, yeah, because they made him long have, after like, like in uh, the Avengers ones I was reading, he he looks totally different. He's more, yeah, he's got like grayish hair. Doesn't, eh, yeah, more yeah, red eyes, really... larger fang. I I didn't like I didn't like it at all. Well, I think I think Dracula, if I understand his power set, I think he can influence the way he looks to you. So yeah. I you know so that that's kind of not inconsistent which I appreciate, uh, but I, I really like you know when he looks like the Universal Dracula, which mm. is what he looked at like through most of this series. I don't like when they modernize him too much. The uh, yeah, you know the one thing me that I, I oh I'm sorry go ahead. I was gonna say that the, the thing that like just kind of jumped out at me a little bit. Is I guess this uh, David is is wearing a yarmulke, but it doesn't yes. look like a yarmulke in the pictures. It looks like no, he's got like a doesn't. little, like like it looks like one of the caps, like somebody in a, uh, in you know, in, uh, at a uh, greasy spoon chef would wear or something. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it it's got like creases in it, and it seems to be like squared at the top, which I've never seen a yarmulke like that. You know, they're generally just kind of round and. You know, it's skull cap, which is a pretty minor thing to criticize, but it just kept catching my eye. Yeah, you know, now that you pointed out, I didn't I don't think I really noticed it before. But now that you pointed out, yeah, that yeah, it looks more like like uh, Jughead Jones's hat or something than it does like a yarmulke. You're right. It's a, like I said, it's a pretty minor point to criticize because otherwise, you know, Gene Colan art, you know, where, where can you go wrong? It's funny, the you know, the cover, as as much as I love Gil Kane art, and I do, uh, he's really got his stock images. That woman laying on the ground, I've probably seen that particular pose and women who look like that, uh, you know, a hundred times drawn by Gil Kane. The the interior art, on the other hand, you know, Gene Colan, uh, you know, I, what could I say that I haven't said before about Gene Colan? Because the thing that I always come back to is it never, ever looks like a still photo of, of, of an image. It always looks like the characters are in motion when he draws them. And I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I know you hate him, but that's one of the things I like about Frank <laughs> Robbins because it always looks like his characters are moving and it looks like they're lighter than anatomy. And I think it's just a cool look. I'm definitely with you on the colon in this. It, I, I find it extremely ironic that I love his art in this series so much. I mean, I love his art in general anyway, but I really love his art in this series, despite the fact that I really don't like this character model for Dracula. I, I just, there's, there's just something kind of funny about that because his Dracula is based on um, Jack Palance and Jack Palance actually did play Dracula in uh, a Dracula movie one time. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's yeah, a TV yeah. movie, I believe. Yeah. I don't. Uh, yep. I can't remember if it predates this or not, but the, but Jack Palance is, regardless of whether it does or not, Jack Palance is the model for uh, for Dracula in this series. Now I like Jack Palance, but eh, I don't. You want to see? You want to see Bella Lugosi? Well, no, no I, I the model Louis I really like. Him. 
too. Okay. I, I, Louis Jordan played Dracula. I remember seeing that on PBS when I was a kid. You guys never saw that? No, I never saw uh, that. I don't know who that is. Oh, well, Louis Jordan was the perfect Dracula. It's from Octopussy. Yes. Is he the one that was... Uh, oh, yeah, from Swamp Thing, right? He played yes. Arcane yes. in Swamp Thing? Yes. Yeah, okay. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he I'll would be a good Dracula. I'll see if I can find a picture of Louis Jordan. No, I, so. I don't think... Uh, to me, there's, there's... You know, Bela Lugosi is always going to be my Dracula. Ah. But I just... I, I really like, you know, my favorite Marvel Dracula is the one that we saw um, in the X-Men, um, in that uh, the Thor story that we looked at. The one, I think I think that model, now I always think of that model as being uh, Bill Sienkiewicz's uh, model, but I think it's actually, I think he based it on Neil Adams' Dracula model from, I can't remember where... Adams, I, I think it was in Dracula Lives, I think, is where we first saw that model of Dracula, where where he has like the the goatee and and all of that. And he just I don't know, I, I like that one better. He's he looks more like uh like you know, like royalty. I don't um, think I've ever seen the Neil Adams Dracula. I would be very interested in seeing that though. Let me see. There's a there's a famous cover. Let's see if I can find it here real quick. I want to say it was an issue of Dracula Lives, where he's like standing on a he's like standing on a rooftop or something. I think so in the chat, is. in the chat, I just well, actually, when you blow it up, it's not as as good res. There's a shot of him climbing up the side of a wall. Actually, you know. When you really get down to it, my favorite one is Count Chocula. <laughs> yeah, that stuff is back in the store right now. I have to go snatch some up for for, for the year. <laughs> All right, so this does not have he does not have the goatee here, but everything else. This is the the Dracula. I'm pretty convinced that. Uh, that Bill Sienkiewicz was was riffing on in the X-Men stories, but he just mm. he lacks the the beard part of the goatee. He just has a mustache here. But that, I I love this image by uh, by Adams, the cover of uh, Dracula Lives number three. Okay, that's what I was just gonna say. No, see, I'm I'm, I'm more enamored with the Gene Colan version as far as comic book Dracula goes. It's yeah. the one I'm more used to, so it's the one I've gone with. Right. So, and I again, I just love the artwork in this book, but I love the artwork in almost every Jim Cullen book. Yeah, I, I, it's beautiful. That shot of him. Um, what page was it? It's early in the book here. It's page like three or four. Uh, no, I'm sorry, page seven, first panel where he's walking up the stairs. And his cloak's all billowing out behind him and everything. I, it's just gorgeous. I, I just love that shot. It's really cool. I like, like even, he, even just little things. Like his hand is over the banister, but, you know, he's Dracula. He doesn't need to hold on to the banister. Right. The way the, the cape or, you know, the cloak's billowing out and everything is almost like, you know, like wings behind him and all that. Because that's one of the things with this is that, He's I mean, the cloak he draws on him is is huge. It's almost like 
you know, sometimes when you see those images of Batman's cape where it's like, okay, that that looks awesome, but it couldn't exist in the real world because it would just be ginormous. That's kind of the thing with the cloak here is it's often like just it's it's almost like he's got too many clothes on or something. But when it works, it works really well because it almost looks you know like Batwing like. So I, I like that. But yeah, I, I really, really like the art in this one, especially uh, the, to me, the, you know, the horrifying scene is uh, that page on, on page 26 where Sheila opens the door and at first it almost looks like a zombie or something, but it's it's David's dead body standing in the doorway being held up by Dracula. And that's just ghoulish, man. I mean, it's mm. that's horrible. But I. Yeah, I really this issue was kind of the turning point for me because up to this point I'm like, I don't know, am I really digging this? I mean, it, it's it's good, you know, the art's good, the stories are interesting, but it's I needed that hook, and this this one got me. I was like, okay, this that this was a really really good issue. The the confrontation at the end between the two of them, where you know he's for the first time in the series he's he's actually rather contrite with her. I mean, she's actually standing there screaming at him and. I hate you. And she's pounding on his, and he just takes it. And right right until he smacks her on the next page. Yeah. But I mean, even there, he, you know, he's like smacking her away, but not like he, he does in prior issues with, because he doesn't take this from anybody. That's the interesting thing here is you're seeing a man who's he, he's taken with her. He's smitten by her and he's, you know, he's still, arrogant and everything and he's only going to take it so far but you know it's still it's one of those things where she she has the upper hand here emotionally on him and just before she dives out the window he's basically pleading with her which again is so you know it's it's out of character for him and i don't know there's something about this this particular issue that really it, it really worked for me i really dug this one Yeah, I would. No, I, 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 would I like the you. psychological aspect of it. That you know, him, his, his desperation to. I, I don't want to say control her, but to just have her as part of his life. Right to keep uh, her. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's it. It is a cool thing because it's got to be hard to write. You know, the the vulnerable side of Dracula. Right. So right. you know, I, I, I can see where that's a more difficult thing for, for uh, Wolfman to do. And I think that's why a lot of times, <clears throat> at least from what I saw in the book, he seems to focus on the people who are trying to get him right. as opposed to him. Because mm. it's yeah, easier this, to make them sympathetic. This was uh, kind of a turning point in in the way the book had been written up to this point, because you're right. It, it did mostly focus on like Frank Drake and um, you know, the other characters, the, the people that were pursuing Dracula. And I liked this, you know, this little glimpse in here because, you know, I mean, it's his book, it's Dracula's book, but how do you take somebody that's just pure evil and you don't want to portray them as the protagonist, you know, but you know, it is that person's title. So how do you, 
how do you handle that? You know, what's what's the way that you would write something like that, but still be true to him without, you know, turning him or, or you know, make, you know, making him, uh, you know, changing him fundamentally or something like that. And this this was an interesting take on that was was to give him a moment of of emotional vulnerability Um you know, and, and to see, you know, how the readers responded to that. And for me, that that was kind of the hook. This was kind of the turning point of going from, okay, this is this has been fun, but, you know, whatever, to, okay, uh, you got me. You know, I'm, I'm kind of into this now. Um, I, you know, I would highly encourage you, though, you know, if, if, if you, you know, really are interested in, uh, you know, you want to do that read through at some point, you know, try again and, you got to get through those first few issues because, you know, in the beginning it's not Marv Wolfman as the writer. And I think they went through several writers, if I remember right. Cause I want to say it was like, he was Archie Goodwin in the beginning, I think, but there's, there were several writers right in the beginning and a couple of different inkers. And then even in the beginning, when Wolfman came in, it kind of meanders a bit, but you know, stick with it because it, it does, you know, it he kind of gets his footing eventually and it, it starts to go places and, and, you know, introduces some interesting characters or what. The big irony for me, though, is that, you know, the big thing that the series is remembered for and the two issues that I lack, the whole reason that I, I just can't, you know, I can't get them is because of Blade. You know, Blade's the thing everybody remembers from this. He's the big, you know, breakout character and all. I actually can't stand him. In this particular series, he's so black exploitation, seventies goofiness that he's kind of hard to read, and he's he's very hard to sympathize with because he just comes off as a as a caricature more than anything. Um, but yeah, the two issues I lack is number ten, which is you know first appearance of Blade, and that that book has gone from being expensive to just stupid at this point it's ridiculously overpriced and then the other one's 13 which is first something to do with blaze like the first appearance of the guy that killed his mother or something and that book has gone ridiculously expensive too so yeah yeah so yeah I'll, i'll probably unless i just find him at a garage sale for somebody that doesn't know anything about him i'll probably never own him but Got all the rest. I was really impressed. I got a number one relatively cheap not long ago. So, I mean, but they're climbing. I, if, you, if you're going to fill in the rest of those holes as much as you can, you got to do it now because once uh, once the movie hits or whatever Blade's getting, I don't know, is he getting a movie or a TV show? I can't remember. I think he's getting but those. Well, maybe you know what I'm not even thing because it's been running into problems. So who knows? Oh. Uh, Marvel's not really been hitting it out of the park lately. Yeah, this is this is true. This has been very yeah, it's been very true. That's a whole nother conversation. But what did you guys think of this? Did you like it? It sucked. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Yes, I enjoyed it very much actually. Uh, and it made me it made me sit here and say, you know, I really got to get to that read through. I just don't have nearly as much time for these read-throughs as I want to have. Right. Retirement can't happen fast enough. And <laughs> when it does happen, it's going to be like, well, you can't spend your time reading comics. You have to go out and be old. 
you have to go out and uh, you you have to go out and live your life once you retire. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that, your that's wife reading comic like, books. Your wife. Yeah, that's why you need to move down here so you can live under threat of a hurricane and uh, <laughs> pray. So, all, that's all, also a story for another day. Yeah. <laughs> So, do you want to rate this well, one? I'm going to jump in with grades. We can, yeah, so we can wrap this sucker up. So, cover on this. I like everything about the cover except Dracula's face. Um, yep, I, I have an issue with the way that Gil Kane draws Dracula. He did a lot of covers for this. I think he did the bulk of the covers, but at least through the you know the the first like half of the series, I think anyway, he did a, a lot of the covers. And it's almost always the same story. I like everything about his covers with Dracula, except for Dracula himself, or you know, the face of Dracula. Everything else works for me. I just, I don't know. I, I don't, I'm not sure what he's going for here, but uh, yeah, just it doesn't work for me. But I like everything else, and I really like uh, Palmer's inks on this. I love the guy being strangled, and you know, just <laughs> everything's really good. Um, so. You know, taking Dracula's face into account on this, I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go a solid B plus on the on the art on the cover. I really dig it. Interior art is just gorgeous. I mean, it's you know, this is this is uh, Gene Colan and uh, Tom Palmer just you know working their magic. And man, there's just there's page after page, panel after panel that just looks so good. And uh, like you said, Paul, I mean, it, it looks like it's moving. It looks like it's in motion. And I love that. And uh, there's something about Colin and Palmer with angle shots of people falling out of windows. I remember we, we looked at that issue of uh, Daredevil where he fought Mr. Hyde and they were falling mm-hmm. out the windows. It's the same time. I, I just they, they they really have a handle on that. And the ending of this with uh, Sheila throwing herself out the window is just, it's beautiful and horrifying at the same time. And uh, yeah, I really, really dig the art in this. So art-wise, I'm going to give it a straight up A. I think it's fantastic. I really do. And story, um, I really, uh, this this was one of the few issues of of the series, you know, up to this point where, I felt like, okay, this, this is finally working. You know, everything's firing all, on all cylinders because uh, a lot of the issues prior to this are, are they're kind of all over their place. They're very hit and miss, but this one was pretty concise. You know, you, you get the A story with Dracula and Sheila, and then there's just enough of all the, the B and C stories to kind of move the narrative forward because this whole thing with, uh, with Taj and everything, this was kind of coming to a head at this point as well. I didn't care so much about that particular um, story of it, which was why I didn't cover any of it in the synopsis or what. But it started to kind of solidify here and, and went in some more interesting places and kind of started to make more of a character out of somebody who hadn't really been much of a character up to this point. Um, so, yeah, I thought the, the writing on this particular issue was solid. So, uh Actually, I think I'm going to go a, a, an A plus on the story. I really, really dug this one because this one, this one tugged at the heartstrings. I felt for, I felt for both um, of the main characters, both Dracula and Sheila. You know, it was just it's that whole doomed love type of thing, and I'm I'm always a sucker for those kind of stories. I'm just a romantic at heart, I guess. Um, overall, yeah, great for this. Yeah, ex- I really am. 
So overall, great. I'm going to give this one straight up A. I think this was a fantastic issue. This this just might be, um, at least so far, like I said, I haven't finished the series yet, but so far in the series, this might be my favorite issue. I, I dug this one a lot. Doc? Uh, so the cover, there's like, there's something wrong with the proportions of Dracula. He looks too short. He looks like Danny DeVito is Dracula. <laughs> it just doesn't look, there's something wrong with it. I'm going to give the cover a C plus. Uh, just cause that, the, yeah, his face has thrown me off and his whole proportion seems a little odd. The other two character models look, look great, but Dracula's just a little off. Uh, the interior art, I will give that. Uh, I will give that an A. And the story, you know, yeah, you can feel sorry for the bad guy. I will give it an A as well. So A minus B plus for me. Okay. Now I do not mind the Gene Colan slash Gilkane Dracula character model. I, in fact, I rather enjoy it. Uh, but <clears throat> while I don't criticize the character model on the cover, I do think his face kind of looks derpy. So I am yeah. going to say, you know, he's going to lose a little something for that. And I really hadn't noticed that he does look a little short until Bill just pointed it out. <clears throat> so I guess I have to uh, account for that as well. Uh, but I think it's a pretty cool cover. Uh, so I'm going to come in between the two. You know, I'm going to say just a B. I think it's it's a, it's a, still a striking image despite the not greatest Dracula ever. The interior art is absolutely beautiful. My only criticism was the yarmulke, and that is really not a criticism. That's a nitpick. Um, I think the art's absolutely gorgeous. I'm going to say A plus on the interior art. This is really really good, uh, and I like that the story plays with vulnerabilities for Dracula that have nothing to do with physical, uh, you know, that, that it plays on, on mental vulnerabilities. And I think that's a pretty cool thing. And I think it's not easy to do. Uh, so I got to give credit for that. Uh, you know, he, he meets his match basically on a mental level, not on a physical level. Uh, and, and he loses because she kills herself. So it's, it's just kind of a cool story overall. So I'm going to say an A on the story. So it's B on the cover, A plus on the art, A on the story. I'm going to average that out to an A minus. Excellent. Well, good. I'm glad you guys like this. Now, I hope the people who've been listening haven't gotten all scared for Halloween Ooh. by these stories. <laughs> but, uh, well, we, I think, uh, yeah, this, this episode will air two days before Halloween. So could listen to this as you're putting on your costume. Ooh. And, uh, everybody be safe when you're out there trick-or-treating. And bye-bye. Goodbye. <laughs> you're a dork. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. 
You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week.